Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sheva. Thank you, Mickey. Hi, I'm Sheva, compulsive overeater. And thank you, Jen, for asking me to speak. It's a tremendous honor. Um, and it's beautiful to see all of you. It makes me cry most of the time when I stand at a meeting and see the courage, the recovery, the and the pain, too, that brings us into these rooms. Um, the first time I heard about OA was from a friend in the relationship program where I had begun to... Um, recover from what makes me eat, um, but I hadn't been ready to look at my food at all. And I watched her, I watched the light go on in her, and I made a note. And then I waited another, the better part of a year, I would say, until I realized my baby was hungry for food, like my real baby. I'll talk about me baby in a while, but... She was eight months old, and I, was, I wasn't I was able to start giving her solid food because I didn't know how to eat myself. And, and then I knew it was time to come. Thank God you guys were loving and welcoming and not as scared as I was. I'm scared right now, too, so thank you for your patience. <laughs> um, so, the woman I asked to sponsor me when I first came in was incredibly loving, but also skeptical. And she said, how do you know you're a compulsive overeater? She was not so convinced immediately. and And it was important for me to explain to her because this was the challenge I've been facing my whole life with food that I knew of. That is, on the outside, it may not have looked like I needed this program. And um, I, I guess I didn't let myself swing too, too far um, in either direction. I would have been fine with me to swing in the skinny direction, but I just couldn't. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go up or down, you know, as many pounds as my sponsor did, and she wondered what brought me, and and what what allowed her to see what I had just begun to see was that inside my head I was sick, like everyone here who identifies as an overeater, undereater, anorexic, bulimic, all of it. My sense of myself was totally determined by my perception of my body and of my eating. So whatever it looked like on the outside, 
A few pounds made all the difference to me. A few bites, you better not know, you know, what it really looked like. I was a great, I, to this day, I'm a terrific eater in public. Um, <laughs> that's not what my abstinence consists of today. Um, so actually, to just get that part out of the way, um, I just um, passed a year without flour, sugar one day, imperfectly, you know, at a time, um, but a, at a level of, of surrender that I have never had. And I came into program in 2007, um, so it certainly hasn't been perfect. Um, I take a candle, I will take a candle, God willing, in December um, for four years of working with my current sponsor, who I'm so grateful is here tonight. Um, because it was in 2013 that I was back on my knees um, after a relapse that also on the outside didn't look so extreme, but on the inside was misery. And uh, so I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going <laughs> to rewind a minute. Um, the ups and downs of my food were exactly correlated with my self-worth. Um, and the, one of the, the first awakenings I had with that first sponsor was that, as I explained my food history, she, she reversed my thinking in a sentence. Because I explained that when I, you know, was thin, I felt great about myself, and my, my whole life went better. And, and then when I gained weight, um, everything just went downhill. And, and she said... What if it was the other way around, that what might have been happening at those times for you that you were willing to love yourself enough to make healthy choices? And I still can't really wrap my head around that. They are so interconnected for me, and that's why I identify every day with this, you know, with this disease. Um, and it still makes me crazy when someone notices that I've lost weight, especially because people do notice two or three pounds on me, and that is crazy-making for me still. Whether it's up and, I don't, and they don't say anything, but I see especially family members look me up and down, or they do, they do say because it's down a few pounds, and it's not their fault. It's my mind that goes for a spin. So... I didn't really know why I picked up the food or, or was able sometimes to put it down until I came into OA. I knew that I had a difficulty um, staying connected to myself in the face of other people, um, as I just described. Um, and I was working on that, um, but the food stuff still had me. And um, so what changed when I first came in was that I was willing a day at a time to do something a doctor had recommended and I had been so defiant about. And that was to put down um, refined flour and refined sugar. And the doctors had asked me to do that because I had said I wanted to have a baby. You'd think that would be a pretty good reason to put down those foods. And I wanted that baby, I thought, but I absolutely refused to change my food. I was furious at the thought that that, that would be necessary, and, and ultimately I, I didn't and still got pregnant, and then sure enough, I you know, had to come back around to that question. So what, 
what allowed me to be willing was that someone who loved me immediately, the sponsor, could ask me just to try it for a day and then another day and then another day and began to walk me through the process of, of the steps in OA. And <clears throat> though I'd been introduced to the steps before, it was only in working um, and practicing the OA steps that I began to have a conscious um, relationship with my higher power. And I recently heard it, meditation described this way, but I think food is the same for me. The idea that we have these little opportunities to face our stuff, to go through the difficulties of discomfort and other feelings, and pretty much any intense feeling for me is uncomfortable in one way or another. Um, and we get to do that and move through it and build evidence that we're okay. And we can do that in meditation. We also do that every time we either eat or contemplate it, right? I, and I think that's why being in OA led me to my higher power in a way that had never happened before because I needed it, him, us, whatever that, that is, um, to get through those difficult moments, and there's so many of them. I really, in the beginning, I might have said, okay, I'm okay with not eating refined flour or sugar, but then what do I do at, at the party when someone's asking me to or, um, or at the, you know, counter, the pretty glass counter at the coffee shop with all that stuff talking to me? And I, I had to learn, I thank God that you were here to teach me how to do that. And then what do I do with the clothes that don't fit anymore? Is it, there was so much to learn. And, but, it, but the bottom line was in those, those moments, of eating or choosing not to eat when I needed a power greater than myself. And they, that wasn't always available on the phone, though. The phone was, a, is, was and is a crucial part of my, my program, my recovery. Um, and I think the moment that I, uh, that I remember most vividly realizing that I was in conscious contact, calling on my higher power, was actually skiing like six months after I came into OA. And I get really scared um, at the top of a slope and usually, you know, tighten up and go slow, which is actually more dangerous, right? And that's kind of how I was doing my whole life, you know? And, and this time I chose to talk out loud to God, who could really hear me anyway up there, and accept my higher power, and, and just ask for help and talk to my higher power the whole way down the slope and actually enjoy it. That, to me, is the gift of, of this, this program. Um, but if I had a photograph to share, the one I share is of me um, in Vietnam on this beautiful trip I took before coming to OA with my now husband. And, uh, and it's not that I'm so outwardly overweight. But there's a little of that dreaded back fat going on in the picture. You can see a roll, and that was all I could see in this photograph. My husband wanted to frame it. It was a be beautiful landscape, a swarm of girls in these indigo hemp clothes that they had embroidered themselves, all watching me paint, which is a passion for me. And all I could see was that roll of fat. 
that is part of what I think is affected by this disease, that that I can only see this one part of my life. And it can keep me, I love the phrase I heard, you know, of calling in fat um, to life, that I'm just not available because um, I think I don't look right. And today I am, you know, standing here probably the same weight it, as far as I know. But I, I get that I, I hope I look through a larger lens at what's in front of me and what I'm like. Um, so, so I work the steps, um, and for years I would I look back and think of that time as a pink cloud. I had I, I did, by the way, learn how to feed my baby solid food, and um, and I went on to have a second child. I did my pregnancy in this program. I remember day by day watching with my sponsor when I had to pick back up those refined foods because I could not eat anything else. I was so ill. And then the day that I was ready to put them back down because I was hiding the little heat bar chips. Um, and that was that. <laughs> and, and back to my abstinence, and, or back to my food plan. My abstinence was defined not by that by those foods, but by my, I don't even, I think at the time, I, I actually am not going to dwell on exactly the definition of abstinence because today what I recognize and thankfully what I work on with my sponsor is that as long as I continue to get hung up about the details of whether I'm abstinent with a capital A or not, the more I do that, the thicker I go back to becoming. And again, this is only my story. It's important that we, that, and that I remember, there are lots of different varieties of this disease. So if that's not your story, please, I mean, there are like 5,000 podcasts. <laughs> but here there'll be another speaker next week. Um, and, and that perfectionism needs to be eroded one day, one bite, one thought at a time. Um, with the help of my higher power and, and all of you. Um, so speaking of my, my sponsor, I first heard her speak years before I asked her to sponsor me, and it was an incredible revelation to hear her because, I, as I said before, I think I didn't really know why I picked up the food and what happened um, with that in the years before I, I recognized my compulsive eating. But she shared about her infancy, and I had learned as an adult what had happened to me as a baby and never connected it to food until I heard her share. That's another miracle of this program, right, when we hear our story in someone else's. So the, the story that I have to share is that at six weeks of age, my mom was taken from me. Thank God she's in my life today, and she's, she's, uh, she still suffers from the illness that she has, which is not what I'm here to talk about. But she had to stop nursing me and go to the hospital. And obviously no one could explain that to a six-week-old. Six and the rupture that happened so early was everything that I that I still am healing from, right? It wasn't just, this is my special person. This is my sustenance. 
emotionally, physically, spiritually as a baby, but also my food. She was my food source. And the replacement is just not the same. Leaving aside that it also has a different kind of sugar in it that maybe I was very drawn to ever since. But well, that's not the, the depth of what happens to my sense of security and the connection to food. It was jaw-dropping to me to make that connection through someone else's experience. It was equally jaw-dropping when I crawled back to program in 2013. So uncomfortable, in so much pain, barely willing to be there. Flipping out of the meeting as soon as it was over. And then the same woman called me. That's my higher power working. Because I never thought, it's crazy, right? Like, that this is... I didn't think I could ever deserve, was the word that came into my mind, a sponsor who had the story so close to mine, but the recovery that I thought could never be mine. And for that one day, I agreed that I wouldn't eat sugar. And I held on like a lifeline to her reminders and reassurances that I could eat as many apples as I wanted while I was coming off the sugar, that I could call or text as many times as I needed to. I couldn't remember whether the number was 19 or 99, but it was so important to be reassured that I wasn't alone and that all my ugliness, because that's what I experienced it as, you know, my truth, was okay with her. And uh, and a day at a time, it's been like that ever since. That has also included me hopping out of the boat a lot because I'm standing at the top of that ski slope and I'm scared. It's really hard to just trust, to trust another person, to trust my higher power, to trust myself. I really have a hard time believing that I'm going to keep on this path and, and so, you know, that's what it looks like, really. I, um, oh my God, here we are. Um, so, I'm going to, there are, I looked, I looked back at some of my writings this morning through my years of recovery and relapse, and two different times, years and years apart, I wrote to myself and God, January 12th and for today is amazing. And uh, so I had to look back at it. What was this all about? And it says, the great enemy of the truth, this is JFK, the great enemy of the truth is very often not the lie, deliberate, contrived, and dishonest, but the myth, persistent, persuasive, and unrealistic. And my sponsor talks to me about the myth. She calls it the trance all the time. I, I was struck by this reading long before I met her. But this talks about the idea that this is not January 12th. I love that. <laughs> That was true, too. No, that was something else. That was, January 12th was the JFK quote. I was like, really? That's not what it seems like. Um, 
two myths are what it talks about. That pain was to be avoided at all costs. And as I mentioned, any big feeling makes me super uncomfortable. Because of my mom's illness, even being really, really happy was very dangerous, very, very scary stuff. But certainly being depressed, which I struggle with, being miserable, being very angry, all off limits, absolutely off limits. And second, it says that eating would relieve the pain free of charge. I still like that myth. I do. I like it every time I go to the pantry or look in the fridge. And I wish I could say, I have never gone back outside of meals or planned snacks. I, I continue back to that myth, and, and it, it must be that God has a little more in store for me to learn there, or it, I guess, would be utterly lifted. That's another tremendous, uncomfortable leap of faith that erodes my perfectionism, to trust that if I'm back here at the pantry to just see what's inside that could alleviate my discomfort, maybe there's another gift, another lesson, something else I have to learn here and that I could share with someone else. So I, I have had different experiences sponsoring others, and as long as I, I can also create more myths, by the way, including, like, I've got this, you know, and when I have veered into myth land, um, I, I lose my recovery, at, you know, at least for the day, and, and so there have been times when I've sponsored others, and I think we've both been helped, and times when I've had to, uh, when I was in relapse, I had to let go of sponsees, because what could I, you know, we read in the big book, we can't give away, we can't give something we don't have. Today, I consider it a tremendous honor to sponsor um, a fellow in this program, and someone whose recovery I admire, um, and, and the day that I don't have anything to give, and that it's been several days, and I haven't shared that with my sponsor, that's a, that's a day that I have to look at whether I can be of service, or whether I need to just go put the chairs in the meeting as my service, you know. So, it's been important to me not to, to get on any pedestal myself, or look at others as though they're on a pedestal um, of recovery. And it's part of what allows me to stand here today because otherwise I'd, think, I'd have to think about whether I deserve to share my story. But I keep getting told it's just my story and we need to hear all those details. So, um, so what happens when I'm in the myth? Um, the best I can do sometimes is reach out after. When I'm willing to reach out before, it's a completely different experience. And for years, I was able to, with tremendous grace and discipline, I don't know, I'm going to say grace because it didn't feel so hard. I would plan my food and do my, and send in that with my 10 steps the night before, and, um, and then, um, and what I had actually eaten that day, if there had been any changes. And it worked. 
And then, you know, part of what led to my relapse was thinking that it had to go that way always or nothing. And my life no longer aligned with that. Um, my second child challenged me in ways and continues to challenge me in those same ways that I had not been challenged really since, since I lived with my beloved mom. You know, there were so many echoes of just the powerlessness that I experienced in my childhood that were le- leading me to leave myself. And so today, when I hop off the boat or fall out of the boat, I try to remember that as soon as I can reconnect, whether it's before I take the bite or if it's the best I can do, then as soon as possible afterwards, that's what leads me back to myself, to my higher power, and to my fellows. And and that's the best I can do. Um, and it's great. <laughs> it's great. Because... I'll just to share what it looks like today, I um, this little like na- nightgowny dress that I wear that I think of as like a Greek goddess dress um, is from Greece, where I just spent um, eight days with my family of origin and and my sister and her family and my family, my kids and husband, and I was I was hanging on to that boat for dear life, truly. Uh, I don't know that I would do that again. <laughs> I pray I wouldn't, but um, but in that land of delicious breads and whatever else um, other people can eat, I recognized a day at a time that I couldn't and didn't think about it. I didn't have to have a grand plan for how I would eat, except having talked about it with my sponsor, I packed some flour-free, gluten-free, crunchy things, because that was the one thing I knew made me feel a little deprived if I wanted something crunchy. That was it. And I went, you know, I went to go get a serving of those from my stuff every once in a while. And and I, I was able to be present in a very difficult situation for day, for day after day, a day at a time. And And there was a lot of disease, a lot of ism around, including this kind. I could not have done it without this program and without the steps and my fellows and my sponsor and my God. If it's hard today, I can only say there is a solution. And I couldn't have guessed that it would have to do with food because I was so asleep to that until I wasn't. Um, And then I fell back asleep to it because I really don't like, (laughs) you know, it's just not as sexy as, you know, I would like my stuff to be. But um, I I hope I never have to go back to relapse. Um, But I think part of what keeps me abstinent today is knowing that I came back. And knowing that I can be totally imperfect, and it's okay. There's one last thing I want to share before opening up to questions, and that is that a couple of of moments that helped me realize how crazy my relationship to food is. And one is that I really, 
I mean, it's so basic, but when I tried to understand whether I was a compulsive eater, um, because, again, the world around me kept saying, no, you're not. That's no, come on. Even a outside help was like, oh, just put down the girls' magazine, you know, the women's magazines, you're fine. Um, so what the, the thought experiment I did is I, I don't have a problem with drugs or alcohol in that when I imagine putting it down and, okay, I don't get to have any today, how about tomorrow, how about for good, I'm like, well, that might be a little less fun for every once in a while, but okay. And that's not hard for me. Putting down sugar? Oh, my God. Right? So that's how I know. Um, I, get, I get, you know, I have the gift, I guess, of having some substance that today isn't like that for me. So I can do the comparison. like, And also have the compassion for people who have other substances that they have that relationship to. The other one is just to think that... Um, like that, you know, the, the, the horror that we have, like imagining ourselves never eating that food again. I think about, and, and like looking back on my life and all the great moments of eating this or eating that, like my whole childhood is marked by the little Debbie's and the special little Stella Dora, like all about, it was all about food. Do I, you know, if this is about a substance that gives me sustenance and keeps me well. Same thing with like, you know, sleeping and washing my body. Do I think about that? You know, like like as these special moments that mark my life? No, but they're just what I do to stay healthy. So that's like, oh right, yeah. I think something is a little crazy about that. And um but a day at a time I my food gets to be I never thought I would celebrate, boring. but I really am so grateful today for boring. Okay, with that, I thank you, and I'm happy to take questions. How did I, the difficulty with trusting people that I mentioned, how, how did that change and what does it look like today? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is within program and my sponsor, um, because that is the sort of deepest, most intimate relationship in some ways, because this area of my life has probably brought me the most shame. So I am grateful to have intimate relationships with many people in my life today. It's not that I'm saying I, I'm only close to my sponsor, but, but, to, but to really show all that muck is, is what um, is both where I practice that and where I think a lot of the change came from. The other, the other thing I think is the steps. Um, all the way through. The trust involved in turning my will and my life over to a higher power, good Lord. But especially a fourth and fifth step and the, and the way that that allowed me to take the eighth and ninth. My, if anything transformed my relationships with family members and coworkers and the people I interact with outside of program, it was the process of making a list and coming to the willingness to make amends 
and all the different ways that unfolded um, gave me a level of faith in the steps and in my higher power and, and, and other people um, that I, I don't think I could have gotten any other way. Shabba, please could you talk about your relationship with your higher power? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mickey. My relationship with my higher power. Um, so on my honeymoon, it was one of those moments, like I said, when things are really great, that's a really hard time for me. And it's probably not an accident that I had an accident. Um, I was on a Vespa with my newlywed husband, and I skidded out and got really hurt. And I consider it God's, God's care that I happened to have done that right in front of the only people we had seen that whole day, and the only ambulance on the whole island happened to be available. And until that ambulance came, the woman, she was with two men in, her, in the front yard of this place, she came over right away, and this like, big-bosomed woman cradled my head. And I never wanted her to stop. And after, and I called out when I when it happened. I called out, Mama. And and then after a while, she was like, "This is weird." And she stopped holding me. <laughs> um, but what I come back to when I think of my, if I imagine my higher power, that's the image of this. It's a mother figure. I come from a long line of scientists, hard, brilliant scientists. And so my understanding of a higher power is very rooted in, in, my, in my beliefs, which don't have to be anybody else's, including my family's. But it, I've come to a place where I, my higher power makes deep sense to me and also has that deeply personal, live quality. And... What that looks like on a day-to-day basis is prayer and the listening that happens in meditation. It's also the feeling I get when I can slow down enough to feel the presence of God in, in the people around me. So meetings do it for me every time. Um, and so do, you know, lots and lots of places where people come together and get quiet. Um, and... And more and more and more, I experience God in just looking at the beginning of my day with a gratitude list or in talking to a fellow when I look at my life and, and choose to see miracles and not have to explain exactly how that happened and that sneaky God, you know, but just get to see it as a miracle. Thanks. Yes. To share a little bit more on the eighth and ninth step and what that experience was like, um, it was everything from going back to the stores where I had, you know, just sampled just a few bites here and there or just felt like maybe that bathrobe didn't need to be at that resort anymore. (laughs) That flavor of stuff. And then there were the long, long standing family stuff. And then there were the across the street neighbor who was actually not okay with me after my amends. Um, And everything in between, you know, Um, the, the, 
what can I say about that except that I, I, I felt people say sometimes that when when you know when we're when we're close in one way or another to death or to major crises that God is right like we feel God's presence right right there and for me making amends I think was like that because I am so afraid of your anger of your judgment um, of things I may have done wrong so having to stand before you and apologize and listen to whatever else I don't even know I've done wrong that was that was terrifying but that also meant it brought me I could only do it with um, with a, a power greater than myself um, and the hardest one um, was uh, was at the time in a way was the the neighbor who um, who was on one hand would not accept my amends and on the other stood there and was just so bewildered that I could 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 stand and make amends to her and and I loved that that was beautiful to me even though I was my heart was pounding. And uh, not long after, a, a terrible tragedy happened um, right on our street. And we had moved to our new home one week prior. Now, again, I can't, like, parse out and analyze, like, well, God did that because, and, you know, or that was, you know, sort of just, whatever. It doesn't even matter that anything that, could allow me to step back and get out of the way of sort of making things happen and making someone feel a certain way, I'll call that God. And anything that gives me compassion where before I had resentment or fear, that was God. And that, the whole way, I don't even know if this makes sense, but the whole way that unfolded was such evidence to me of a higher power and of my small place in that, that my humility and my willingness to do these seemingly unrelated things so that I could get clean with food and have a life, that's, that's my part. That's what I can do. Um, yeah. And the last thing I'll say about the immense thing that is so beautiful to me today, the first thing that brought me to the steps and program was a difficulty with a relationship, someone I thought I could never, ever forgive, ever. And because of my fear of where they were at in their own life, I was counseled by my, suggested by my sponsor at the time not to make the amends in person, but, but in a letter. And I, I never, I don't know if she got it. And things were difficult for for much much longer, um, but this uh, this past month, she has been the person in my family's life that I could not be more grateful for. And I don't even know if she thought my letter of amends, but what it gave me very slowly was the freedom to find a way to love her, and it and. It's a gift to the whole family. So, thank you.